Back in June, I had the opportunity to help my son Brandon, who lives with his wife Shelby in St. Louis, Missouri, move to a new apartment because they need more space. Why? Jen and I are grandparents. Baby Bose is due in October. Brandon's in-laws from Arkansas came too to help and Casey and I were proud grandpas putting the crib into the new baby room, moving beds, mattresses, a washer and dryer and bookshelves up and down, up and down, 23 steps, but who's counting? That weekend was the week after George Floyd's death and the Lord taught me something more about prejudice throughout two experiences there. You see, in St. Louis, for many, many years, the north part of the city of St. Louis has been mostly a black community, and the south side has been mostly all white. I grew up in South St. Louis, and this is what I look like in the summers, darker than some African Americans. So needless to say, growing up, I received my fair share of racial slurs. Well, as, as I was moving Brandon and Shelby into a city apartment on the south side, one of the neighbors in their four-family flat was having a wake after the death of their loved one. There were around 100 black people with all the markings of an urban culture on full display. Rap music blaring, fried food smells with, mixed with alcohol, weed in the air. I looked at Casey, he looked at me, and we were both thinking, what are our kids getting into? My son and daughter and I love city life and the variety of ethnicities, and so do I. But I was a bit overwhelmed having to ask them to please excuse me when I was carrying heavy items through the crowd. Then I had to check my heart and not jump to negative thoughts about them. The MF and the N-bombs were rubbing me wrong and no one greeted me so I began feeling the difference between us. I had to remind myself, or the Lord reminded me, these are the people that Jesus died for, that he loves just like me. I put on a smile started to be brave and started a conversation to break the ice because it felt like they were looking at us like we were out of place. I couldn't help but think of how easy racism is and how prejudices just pop out naturally. I said, sorry for your loss. They smiled, said thank you, and moved out of the way. The very next day, I was visiting my in-laws in an almost all-white affluent suburb of South St. Louis County, large homes on a bluff overlooking the Mississippi River. As I'm filling up the ga at a gas station, I notice all I see around me are white people, which is pretty common that I'm the only darker skinned person around. I noticed one woman clearly looking at me with an expression that seemed to be in fear, fear in her eyes, hurrying into her car to drive away. Wow, I haven't had a negative response like that in many years. When something like that would happen to me as I grew up, my mom used to tell me this joke to ease the tension I felt. She would say in her thick Filipino accent, don't. When God was making people and cooking them in the oven, he took out all of the people from Europe and North America and he said, oh, I took them out too early. They're not fully cooked yet. Then God took out all the people from Africa and India and he said, oh, I left them in too long. But when God took out all the Filipinos, he said, just right. You see, every culture in the world, every race or ethnicity sees themselves and their culture as the best. It's called ethnocentrism, ethno or nation-centered. We can all be prideful and look down on others different from us. You see, I believe our problem is not so much about the colors of our skin, but about the cultures we come from. And yes, all cultures have great things about them. And their people can be patriotic to the point of being prideful. But all cultures have bad things about them too. 
when the sin inside people's hearts, pride, is acted out on, it's not pleasing to God. And cultural pride causes racial problems. Cultures that don't understand or appreciate each other clash to varying degrees. Today, we're going to look at a parable of Jesus that will address pride. We're going to learn about pride and humility and what makes someone right with God. So why don't you open up your Bibles, please, with me to Luke chapter 18. And we're going to begin in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. There's the pride. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Who was justified? Who had a right relationship with God? The prideful one or the humble one? Well, yes, it's the humble one. So we're gonna consider pride and humility. Does humility come naturally to most people? Not to me. I'm guessing not to you either. What does come naturally to most humans? Pride. Pride's the lens through which we, in our human sinful nature, view reality. I like this explanation of pride I came across in, in preparing for this message. Pride says, I have this, and you have that. This what I have is not the same as that which you have. And so pride leads to one of two conclusions. Pride either makes one think, I have this, and you have that. This what I have, however, is much better than that. This thought process is usually what we think of as pride. It's arrogance, conceitedness. It's what makes us puff up our chest and call attention to ourselves and think of ourselves better than others. That's pride. The Pharisee stood by himself to pray in this parable. The way the text is written in the Greek here indicates that he sought out a spot in the temple where he could be seen by many making this prayer out loud. And you see how many times he used the word I? I thank you, God. I'm not like those people. I have this. They don't have what I have. I have this righteous standing before you, God, because I do these things. Pride says, I have this and you have that. This what I have is not the same as that which you have. The second conclusion pride leads to can make some think, I have this and you have that and that what you have is much better than this what I have. This is inferiority or self-abasement or pity. It, it, what's makes, it makes us feel like we aren't good enough compared to others. The I have this and you have that mentality causes us to believe a lie. Thinking one is better than the other. Better? Why? Who said that? Who gave you what you had? Have? God did. God gave me this and he gave you that and it would not be better any other way. God is good and what he does is good. What he gives is good for us to have and what he withholds is good for us not to have. Notice the Pharisee compared himself pridefully with the tax collector while in God's house. The Pharisees, they were a group of Jews who were very active in applying the religion of Israel. 
They were zealous at keeping God's commandments, although only in external showy ways. They followed hundreds of extra laws, laws which weren't given by God, but were written by rabbis as an interpretation of or in addition to the commandments God gave to Moses. Pharisees were well-respected in Jewish society. People thought that the Pharisees were closer to God than the average person, and the Pharisees thought that they were too. See a prime example of that in this Pharisee in Jesus' parable, who dared to stand before God and, and publicly praise himself. He's basically saying, I thank you, God, that I'm so great. His prideful thoughts led him to believe he earned God's favor with his obedience. What a lie. Pride lies. He didn't see the truth of his own sinfulness. I can certainly see how pride feeds into racism and prejudice. My people are better. My culture is the best. Looking down on others who are different than you. Not realizing all cultures and people were made by God. Designed with a variety on purpose. He loves all equally. He died for all. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 tells us in heaven there will be a great multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. The pride will melt away at heaven's gates, brothers and sisters in Christ. There's another thing pride does. It fails to reflect God's mercy to others because a pride-filled person thinks they don't need God's mercy. In turn, they don't offer it freely to others. Notice how the pride-filled man in Jesus' parable said, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers and evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. He only mentioned his good deeds, and he didn't see his need for God's mercy. He spoke poorly to, about the tax collector. He didn't think he deserved God's mercy. And don't we see that in the current tumultuous state our country's in now? from the us versus them mentality and racism and politics and in what approach is best in handling the coronavirus, God's mercy is not being extended to those who hold different views or those with different skin colors or cultures. Kindness and mercy is not being offered and the tension keeps rising. Ultimately, pride puts self over God and ultimate truth. Pride says, you know who knows, knows best? I do. You know who should have the best? I should. You know who deserves the best? I do. Pride lies. Do you see the danger? We think we can earn a right relationship with God and we don't need God's justification. Jesus' sacrifice was not necessary and our righteousness is enough to gain entrance to heaven. All lies. Pride lies big time. These are all untrue conclusions caused by pride. We deserve the opposite. The wrath and punishment of a holy God. It's hard to hear me tell the truth. We all deserve hell. Our sin separates us from God. But we need to hear it. We need our pride to be humbled. We need to be humbled by the truth. Did you notice who was the humble one in this parable? The tax collector. In this time of history, tax collectors were a small percentage of Jewish society. They were involved, they were involved in legalized theft. And they knew it. They were living in open sin, either because they didn't care about God at all or because they despaired of God's mercy, thinking there's no way that he could ever accept them for what they had done. The only real difference between the tax collector and the Pharisee is that while they were both sinners, the tax collector admitted that he was a sinner. 
This particular tax collector in Jesus' parable didn't merely see the truth that he was a sinner. His trip to the temple and the way he beat his breast as he prayed showed that the, he truly was seeking God and acknowledging his sin. He knew the truth of his sin, how it separated him from a holy God. The burden of guilt weighed heavily on his shoulders. Notice humility sees the truth. Pride lies, but humility is in line with the truth. The important thing humility does is brings you to God to ask for mercy. The tax collector believed in God's promise to be merciful for the sake of the animal sacrifices that were made in the Jerusalem temple. Sacrifices that point ahead to the coming Messiah, whose blood would be the true atoning price for the sins of all people. So by the working of the Holy Spirit, which led him to be humble, he trusted in God's mercy. And for that very reason, he asked God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I believe that the tax collector's prayer should be part of the daily conversation every Christian has with the Lord, every day. God, I acknowledge my sin before you in my actions, in my inactions, the things I do that I shouldn't, the things you want me to do and I don't do the things that I should do. Please forgive me. Be merciful to me for Jesus' sake. It's so significant that Jesus' moral to this parable in Luke 18, it's found in verse 14, is that the humble, not the prideful, are justified, which means has a right relationship with God. When you humbly ask for forgiveness, God forgives you every single time. That is why Jesus died and rose again. God's clear throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. He desires for us to be humble. Two examples, Isaiah chapter 66, verse two says, these are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble, and contrite in spirit, and who tremble at my word. First Peter 5, 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Imagine how much a dose of humility would help in the tension-filled cities of America today. How much would having humility help when we look at the different colors of skin and cultures? How racism and prejudice would decrease with more humility? You see, Christ followers put others first and think more highly of them than ourselves. Jesus is literally the perfect example of humility. Philippians chapter two describes him beginning in verse six. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus as God's only son had every reason to be full of pride yet he humbled himself. When Jesus returns physically to earth or when your days on earth are over and you meet him at the gates of heaven, don't be trusting in your own righteousness and good works. Only in what Jesus has done in his sacrifice on the cross. We are righteous because of Jesus. We'll be in heaven because of him only. Amen? Amen.